like you to turn in your Old Testaments now to Psalm 36. Psalm 36. And this is the Word of God. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink of your river of delights. For you are the fountain of light, and in your light we see light. Oh, continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers have fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. I'd like to begin this morning as we unfold this this beautiful piece of poetry, Psalm 36, written by King David. I'd like to begin by asking a very personal question, maybe an uncomfortable question, but I think it's a, a very good question to begin this psalm. And here is the question. What do you think about when you're all alone that somebody might be surprised if they knew you thought about it? Or maybe we could put it this way. What is it that you kind of fantasize about, that kind of realm of thinking that somebody might be shocked if they, uh, if they could see you thinking that in your heart? Now, that's actually a very good question. It might be an uncomfortable question, but it's a good question because that's kind of what happens when we get still. I'm asking you what comes to your heart when you stop. That actually reveals something that has attached itself to our heart that has become important. And, uh, and I wonder, for you today, what that would be. I remember a guy in college named David. And David came to school, and I promise you he did not come to school to get an education. That was far from why he came. He came to school to P-A-R-T-Y, to party. And uh, he skipped classes, and, uh, and, you know, he would actually sit in the fraternity house while some of us were in our classes and plan his next little wild time, you know, and it was all about him. And this, this thing just got crazier and crazier as time went on. And, uh, in fact, you know, I, I, would, I would look and I would just see, it, it almost would break my heart that uh, he just used people without a second thought because people existed for them to be for for his pleasure that's that's what you do with people that's what you do with situations you make it all work for you use them up 
you throw them away because it's all about you. And that's exactly. And, and, and you know, you, you wonder what's going on with this, with this man's conscience as, as all this is happening. And um, he had this devilish little laugh. I can hear it in my mind, even to this day. It's almost more of a giggle than a laugh, and he just giggled kind of that. He laughed incessantly like a little horse or something. He's just always <laughs> laughing. And, um, but there was something very interesting about this man, that underneath all that laughing and all that selfishness and all that partying was an absolutely miserable person. And I know, I'll tell you how I know that for certain. Because he told me. You see, some guys in my fraternity actually shared the gospel with him. He mocked them so bad. Look, if you ever share the gospel with somebody and they mock you, you don't worry about it. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God into salvation. It's not the power of Joseph Weed or you. It's not up to you to convert somebody's soul. You can't do that. So if you ever get mocked or just, you know, laughed at... Don't worry about it, because that's exactly what this guy did. But that seed was planted, and there came a time, and I don't remember the exact time, there came a time when we noticed something shocking about this man. He suddenly was different. And when I say different, he was really different. He received Christ. He was thinking about it underneath all the time in his misery. He kept going. He kept pushing. He kept trying to make it work for himself. It never worked. And he received Christ. And, and now, all of a sudden, this guy, as, as, as committed of a turbo pagan as he was over here, he just loves the Word of God. He loves to pray. He loves Christian fellowship. He loves ministry. And he's laughing all the time. You know, he didn't, he, that didn't change about him, but there's a, there's a little twinkle, you know, in his eyes. He loved his new life so much more than the old life. I mean, you know, it kind of didn't give up. It didn't, like, wear off at 2 a.m., and it never gave him a headache. It was great. In terms of Psalm 36, written by King David, we might put it this way. He used to drink from the mud puddle of his selfishness but now he drinks from God's river of delights let me say that again that's the contrast he used to drink from the mud puddle the dirty mud puddle of his selfishness but now he drinks from God's river of his delights and you know what there's still to this day only two places you can get water in your life be from your own attempt to make your own life apart from God in your own little mud puddle of selfishness or it'll be from the river of God's delights or the springs of living water or the you know there's lots of metaphors for that and I just wonder which are you drinking from this morning first I'd like to talk with you a little bit about the mud puddle of selfishness that's where David starts the psalm an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. He has no fear of God before his eyes. An oracle just means a word. A word is in my heart concerning what real wickedness is. And then followed, you'll see by a word about the glory of God and the grace of God and, and how wonderful the grace of God is. But we have to ask the question, who are the wicked you know, the Bible uses that word wicked a lot. That's not a word that we use a lot these days. 
You know, we don't say, we say, well, somebody's struggling with sin. They will say, that person's wicked, <laughs> you know. But that's a Bible word. And so we have to ask the question, who are the wicked? Well, David gives us the answer, the wicked are people that don't fear God. The wicked are people who say, God doesn't matter. God doesn't, God's not going to do anything. God, we don't have to worry about God. We do what we want to do. That's the way wickedness is defined by David here in Psalm 36. And um, it says, there is, therefore, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Now, David says the wicked have their eyes on something, but it's not God. It's not a healthy respect and a fear of God. Who do they have their eyes on? If you look at the text, they've got their eyes on themselves. He flatters himself so much, the wicked. He flatters himself so much that he can no longer detect or hate his own sin. In his own eyes, David says, he flatters himself too much. That's what wicked people are about. Wicked people are all about themselves. Do you know anybody like that? Y'all are going, he's setting me up. I know it. (laughs) He's going to get around to me. I can feel it. (laughs) That's going to happen, by the way. You might want to buckle your seatbelt. The verb, he flatters himself, is so interesting. It literally refers to the process of smoothing metal with a hammer and an anvil to, to make an idol. I mean, is that picturesque language or not? He flatters himself. He's so busy fashioning the idol of himself and making himself so important that he can't even see anything else. He can't even hear anything else. His self-flattery is turned up so loud he can't hear his own conscience anymore. He's doing, she's doing, they're doing what they want. They no longer have the ability, quote, to detect their own sin or hate their own sin. In fact, in that state, sin becomes good because good is defined by whatever makes me feel good. Whatever makes me feel better is good. And if God calls it sin, that's not my problem because it's about me and I'm not worried about God anyway. That's the wicked. David says, because his heart is filled with wickedness and deceit, therefore his words also are filled with wickedness and deceit. You know, it's, it's out of the heart that our words speak. And so, you know, that's a sign that, that, that there's wickedness in operation there. Verse 3, the words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. And then, and then we read these words, he has ceased to be wise and he has ceased to do good. This is a very detailed description of what wickedness is. You know, wickedness is about a lack of the fear of God. I'm worried about God. I do what I want to. I don't care what sin is. I say what I want to. So wickedness is kind of about what you do and say. But but it's even deeper than that. David goes on to say wickedness is about what you stop doing as well. That's fascinating because really we can't see into each other's hearts. You can't see into mine. I can't see into yours. Um, you know, maybe we can, maybe we've, we've got incredible selfishness going on down there. Maybe it's being played out in some, some really key ways that are not healthy at all, but, but we can't see it. But you know, there are certain things you can see, you can actually see. Sometimes people can refrain from doing things, but a lot of times they, they can't help themselves in their speech. So that's kind of a way you, you might see that. And then 
the thing that they don't realize is kind of what they stop doing. Stop going to church. Stop cherishing your wife or your husband. Stop listening to your children actively. And why would you do that? Simple. Because you're so into you. And you're so into what it is that you think is going to make you happy that you have left off these important things. And that's just tuck that away. Back just as you, as, you, as you go forward in your life, just tuck that away. And that might come in handy for you one day. They cease to do good. Now, where, who are the wicked people in the world? I mean, are there wicked people in the world that we could actually say, that, that guy's wicked? Yeah, somebody that comes to their school and shoots 13 people dead is wicked. You know, there, there's a lot of things, this idea that there's no evil, we are the world. I mean, I thought that stopped with the Twin Towers going down. I thought, I thought September 12, 2001, we all understood once and for all that there's evil in the world, that there's wickedness in the world, and people do what they want, and they absolutely destroy other people, and they could care less about other people with their wickedness. So, you know, we, we say, who, you know, who are the wicked? Is it okay to say somebody's wicked? Is that judgmental? David doesn't think so. David is talking about the wicked. You know how David knows they're wicked? Because they're trying to kill him. That's a bad way to learn somebody's wicked. You know, they're after him. They want to kill him. If you'll notice at the end of the psalm, it's like, Lord, put them down. Push them down where they never will rise again. Stop the wicked. So he's able to say, these people are wicked. And uh, because they're literally trying to kill him. But uh, I tell you, this is where it gets tricky. Because I have to ask the question... Do you ever struggle with real self-focus and self-flattery? I do. I do. That, you might say, are, that, that's kind of acting like the wicked. I think we struggle with ourselves. I, I remember being at a, a prayer meeting one time and I was shocked it was in one of these kind of groups where you know everything was a, a righteous cause and an external one didn't have anything to do with them it's like Lord stop the liberals stop the homos stop the I mean we prayed round robin man we prayed through everything and it wasn't that it wasn't like I was disagreeing with the prayers what what stunned me by the time I don't know, 14 people that pray, is nobody, nobody said, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, you see. The next verse is the question that I started off with. What do you think when you're all alone? You kind of get now why I asked the question? Well, let me just supply some possibilities for you. When you're all alone, do you think how you're going to make more money to feel more significant? I mean, is that like your driving thing that you kind of default to? Do you, uh, you think how you're going to go, get ahead of certain people at their expense? Is it a forbidden relationship that you think of or forbidden form of sensuality that bubbles up? 
Is it how you secretly want to be rid of a relationship with somebody? Or maybe a desire to hurt somebody because they hurt you. And in the dark, you're so angry, you just think how wonderful it would be to get them back. Verse 4. Even on his bed, he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Look, I'm not trying to hurt you. I promise you. I'm trying to help us be real about what's really there before this God of glory and this God of grace. And, 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 and here's the thing. Look, if, if you don't have any of those things I listed going on in your life, praise the Lord. You just skip down to point number two, which we'll get to in a second. But I suspect that there are things that go bump in the night in the way of selfishness and in, 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 in this sense that really is kind of the, the, the tracks of wickedness. And, and look, it'll hurt us. That's the other thing. It'll hurt us. I, I love what Matt Moody said about that. He said concerning our culture, he talks about the, that people have always been selfish, but we just have so many more varieties of ways to express our selfishness than we have had in the past. He said, listen to these words, surging selfishness in our culture has shrunken some people so small. Isn't that a great concept? Because look, if, you, if you're only into yourself and it's all about you, your world is just this big now. Your world's only as big as you. That's a small little world to live in. Surging selfishness in our culture has shrunken some people so small and filled their lives with such emptiness because you cannot fill yourself with you. Any more than a cup can fill itself with the cup. It, it will just not work. They're so filled with such emptiness, he says, they seek to erase their emptiness through sensations. Selfishness has an insatiable appetite for every expression of hedonism. That just means I do what I want, when I want to. But in the arithmetic of hedonism, anything multiplied by zero still equals zero. That's profound. It won't work. It, it will hurt me, it will hurt you just, to, just to, to be a person that solely focuses on me and to hammer out the idol of myself so loud that I can't hear God and I can't hear anybody else. Now, the wicked without Christ, it's, it's even worse. The wicked without Christ live in the shrunken worlds of their own selves and they die and they are punished. Let me tell you, that is no way to live and that is no way to die. That is the gospel truth about the wicked without Christ. And I hope that awakens within you a desire to, to pray for people who have yet to experience the forgiveness of God through Jesus. I hope that awakens in you a, a, a desire to reach out to people and, and tell them about God's love through Christ. But what about a believer whose heart has taken on the traits of wickedness that we that we struggle with. Um, it's a matter in this passage of what we're not enjoying, what we're, what we're not taking advantage of, that this God of grace wants us to have, uh, and, and how hurtful it is to put ourselves before God. In, in short, Christians shrink their lives down too. 
Okay? We shrink our lives down too. There's nothing magic about a Christian that we wouldn't shrink our lives down if we, if we really decided to, to live out such a selfishness. And it really hurts us. Uh, and it's not something that happens overnight either in our lives. It's surprising where we can get to with our selfishness. In fact, there's a song that I really like. I like it and it scares me to death. And every time I hear it, I, I just almost grit my teeth. It's a song by Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. Some of you have heard that song. You understand why it's so scary. And the song, the, the, I want to read to you the, um, the refrain of this song. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turn to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. And here's the devastating line. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Where are you with this in your life? With this selfishness? With this, the world is about me. People are here for me to use them. This world is my oyster. It's here for me to arrange it in the best way to make me happy. Is that a struggle for you? I will tell you something. I have never felt really strengthened by my selfishness. It's just never happened. Over, over, over the long haul. Over the long haul, I have just never been built up and felt strengthened by my selfishness. And I will tell you further that my selfishness has never done anything in my life that I would want to pass on to somebody else as a blessing to them. And I think it's very obvious how, how hurtful this is to us. It's like being content to drink out of a mud puddle when a beautiful, clear, cool river of grace is flowing right by. We're going to drink out of the mud puddle of selfishness? Or are we going to drink out of the river of delights? I want to read one more passage before we get to the river of delights. Hang on, it's going to get better, I promise. Uh, the passage is a very famous passage from Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two sins, God says to Jeremiah and through Jeremiah. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Did you catch that? God's calling himself the fresh water. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns. They've dug their own mud puddles that don't hold real water. So is it going to be the mud puddle of selfishness or is it going to be the river of delights? Let's look at this river of delights. I mean, the, the passage shifts, shifts gears so quickly here. It's almost breathtaking how quickly that everything changes in Psalm 36 and the smallness of the wicked, the shrunkenness of a life, a selfish life, is suddenly dwarfed by the glory of God and the, the grandeur of, of God's grace. David is saying, God's here all right. You know, as opposed to there's no fear. Oh, we don't have to worry about God. God, we don't, we don't need God. God's irrelevant. David's saying, oh, God is here and he matters. Your love, O oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice is like the great deep. And just to look at these quickly, your love, the word is chesed, 
Chesed, I've explained chesed to you before. Chesed just means loyal love, covenant love, relational love. It's, it's the love that God just keeps loving us with just because he's promised, just because we're his children. That's the love, even while we're struggling with selfishness, if we are a believer in Christ, that is just right there, always ready for us to turn from the mud to the river because that love never goes away. It's a beautiful love. And, uh, and what David says about this, this chesed love is that it reaches to the heavens. It's always greater than anything and has the power to win in our lives. Yeah, he's there, and it matters. Your faithfulness, he says. The word here literally means support, and the word picture is the strong arms of a parent under an, a, a needy infant. You think about a, a little child, how do you hold a little child? What's your heart to, for a little child? You're going to feed that little child? You're going to give that little child drink? You're going to take care of that little child, right? That's support. That's what God is like. And uh, it reaches to the skies. Kind of like we say, the sky's the limit. That's what David's saying in an old-fashioned way. There's just no limit to the beautiful love that is always there for us and the support underneath if we would just see it. Your righteousness, he says, it literally means to be straight. God being upright. Not, God's not only holy, that is pure, but he always does right. Maybe a play on words would be David saying, hey, God not only loves us, God not only is there, God will always do right by us. Everything he does will be right and loving and good. He will, he will be straight with us. He will do right by us. And the last one is your justice is like the great deep. It simply means the fairness of God as the one who rules over all. Specifically what it means is that if you have suffered injustice and you are sad, you are broken because of it, he sees it. He will fix it. In his own time and in his own way. In other words, he doesn't just love you. He's not just supporting you. He really will bring that, that justice in, in, in his own time and in his own way. His justice is like the great deep. It's like the tide. It will come, you see. Wicked equals small and inward. God's grace equals huge and overflowing with with goodness and love. Look at verse 7. As all this gets applied to us, both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. He says later, the, those who know you, doesn't matter who you are, if you know God, you will find refuge. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink in your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, in your light, we see light. We can drink. We can turn from the mud. But see, we don't just say, Lord, forgive me of the mud. That's just half the equation, right? We want to turn from the mud. We want to head for the river. Remember that guy when he came to Jesus, just how thrilled he was, and he was forgiven, and a clear I mean, that, that happens to us, even as believers, when we turn to him, and we are cleansed, and just the, the appearance how apparent that grace is just becomes very clear to us. Um, what does it mean to drink out of the river of God's delights? I sure like that. In fact, I, I wanted to get a jar with some mud and some water and shake it up and ask anybody if they wanted to drink it. Think anybody would have wanted to drink it? Uh-uh, no. 
why do we drink it? When there's this, this cool, clear river. Well, all it means is this, is that God's loyal love in spite of us and, and God's support and his promise to always do right by us, his promise to always defend and bring justice. What it's saying is, is, you know, if we'll just walk with God, God will bring everything we need to bear in our lives. It will be so abundant in his house. It, it will just be more than you ever could imagine. It will be like drinking out of a river, a river of God's delight. I want you to think of a cool, clear stream in the middle of a barren and hot and dry desert. You know? You're, you're, you're going across the desert. Fallen world's kind of like a desert, right? You're crawling on your... You, know, you can't even walk anymore. <laughs> and there it is, the cool stream. And you say, oh, that looks so good. That's exactly what the scriptures are talking about here. And uh, I'd like to read three quick passages in succession from Isaiah just to give you a sense of this. Isaiah 35, 6, Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Listen to these words. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground will become bubbling springs. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God's bounty and his grace want to give us. Isaiah 43, 19, I am making a way in the desert, streams in the wasteland. And Isaiah 55, 1, that we started this service, come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Don't bring any money. You can't buy it. Just come and drink. You see, the New Testament also talks about the wonder and the bounty of God's grace compared to a life of selfishness and, and, and being closed in. Several passages in the New Testament deal with this, but, but one that it famously deals with it is the passage in John chapter 4 when Jesus encountered a woman in Samaria at a well at high noon when it was really hot, and he asked her for a drink of water. And there's some background there that I won't go into, but uh, it's very hot, and he asked her for a drink of water. And, and what he says to this woman is very parallel to what David says in Psalm 36 and gives us a sense of how we can appropriate this cool water. John 4, 10 through 14. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw the water with and the well is deep. How can you give me this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who who dug this well and gave it for himself and his sons and his flocks and herds, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this ordinary water will be thirsty again. Hear these words. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? What is Jesus saying to her? If you only knew me, if you only had me in your life, you would not continue to be so thirsty. If you, were, if you only would turn from trying to make it work yourself and the way she was making it work was through serial monogamy out, inside and outside of marriage. She was using sexuality to try to fill up her life. That's what 
the deal was with this woman. He's saying, you know what, if you just turned to me, there would just be these streams of grace and, and more than you could ever want for your life. And they would just keep going inside of you. Jesus is saying, I'm the fountain of living water. I am the river of God's delights. Come to me. Put your faith in me, and I will give you everything. I will give you salvation and more than you ever dreamed. And then in John 7, 37, if you'll turn there, Jesus stood up. It says it was the last and greatest day of the feast, the Passover, that is. And Jesus stood up, and he said in a loud voice. May I say in a loud voice, since Jesus said in a loud voice? He wanted to make sure everybody heard him. He said, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Isn't that beautiful? For whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, maybe Psalm 36, maybe one of the Isaiah passages, we don't know. There's no asterisk there. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, streams of living water will flow within him. Let me tell you something, folks. That is the life that's truly life. And to walk with God through a relationship with the one who is the fountain of life, who is the, the river, and to walk with him and to trust him and to grow in him. Very simple, very profound, and yet so bountiful, so satisfying and full. Or we can leave that behind and we can huddle around our little selfishness and what we have to have or we're not going to be okay or what needs to happen or we're not going to be okay and doggone it, I will think what I want to think and I will do what I want to do and nobody will stand in my way. What seems better to you? Mud puddle of selfishness? Or a river, living river through a relationship with Jesus of God's delight. Well, I know it sounds better to me. I know I struggle with that mud puddle. And I know I've been hurting from Psalm 36 this week and loving Psalm 36 this week because of the coolness of that river. That is available now to all who would call upon the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. If you've never put your trust in Christ, it's okay. I mean, it's okay in the sense that nobody's going to make you. But what that means is you're trying to work it out some other way. That means you are trying to work it out some other way. It won't work. You're invited. Put all that down. And just put your trust in what Christ has done on the cross on your behalf before a holy God and just let that river well up within you. And just like that guy I talked about, just the, the joy of walking with him. But you know, there are many of us, we've known the Lord for years. Why do we get so stuck in our mud puddle? You know, maybe that's where you are today. I mean, I don't know what it would be. I mean, what's great about, you know, applying... A passage in this way is, you know, if God's speaking to your heart, you know. Let me ask you something. Is it working for you? <laughs> it's not, <laughs> okay? And it's not going to. It's just going to get worse. 
And the invitation for you today is, is to see yet again the river of God's delights from this chesed love. He, he still loves you. He not cast you away. He still has his arms underneath you. If you just know that, he, he still will do right by you. He'll still defend you and, and, and give you all that you need. Which brings us to this table in front of us. That river has run through the Old Testament to the New Testament. That river has been shown in the gospel even through the, the preaching today. That river, we're going to drink a little later. And it's all going to be about Jesus. And it's a wonderful opportunity for some newness to come into our lives. Mud puddle or selfishness? A mud puddle of selfishness or river of God's delight? Which would you like today for your life?